Hey everyone, this is Patrick with the 307 RPG Podcast, and I just want to take a moment and say thank you to all of our amazing patrons. It's because of you that we're able to do the things that we do. If you like our show and you want to support us, you can find us on patreon.com slash theforgeherald. Thanks everyone, I hope you enjoy the show. Hello everyone, and welcome to the 307 RPG Podcast. I'm Patrick. I'm Nolan. Nolan, how are you? Anything fun and exciting to share with us? Uh, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, it's kind of more of the same, you know, playing some video games. My family went out of town for the holiday weekend, so I was able to uninterruptedly not do anything but video games, but it's just more, <laughs> more wow, running dungeons, uh, wrapping up the second playthrough of Pillars of Eternity 2 and realizing that I missed like probably eight hours worth of content by the last time. So that's been fun. New stuff. Really? Yeah, the ending of that game really ramps up, and next thing you know, like I'm a I'm a completionist, so I like to try and do everything. Well, I kind of got wrapped into the story, went on, and the next thing I knew, it was it was over, and I was like, oh, okay, well that's cool. I'll just go, you know, once it's done, I've got my boat, and I'll just wrap up some of those side quests. And nope, the game is just over. So there, I'm I've ramped up to the edge of, hey, this guy's about to destroy and remake the world, uh, but I'm going to be down here doing a gladiatorial or arena type of stuff now. So it's always the awkward part of those stories of like, hurry, hurry, hurry. You're like, yeah, hold on. I'll get to him. <laughs> That's too funny. <laughs> well, let's see. Our topic of the night, of course, is the strains for the game Dystopia Rising. This is kind of what we do. We we have like an interview with one of the writers or developers for a game. And then Nolan and I kind of look at character classes if you will or different parts of the game and we talk about them quickly on the show uh, as our topic of the night so we will be talking about the strains for dystopia rising evolution if you're unfamiliar with that game please check out the interview we did with developer kitty griffin last week but before we get into that let's check out the news so for 307 rpg news there's really nothing going on we're still playing games via virtual tabletop and still staying healthy over at Dungeons & Dragons, the release of the new Theros book is right around the corner. I've seen a lot of ads for the pre-orders for this. In fact, in fact, just before we went live, I was looking through Facebook and boom, a D&D Beyond ad for pre-ordering Theros came up. The big thing about this is the D&D Live event on June 18th, 19th, and 20th. Nolan, do you know anything about this event? Just a little bit. I was looking at the people that they were lined up for it. Um I'll be curious to see what they use for the format. It is going to be virtual. I noticed that they said that they're going to do that, do it that way, which is great because mm-hmm. uh, I know in the past they've had, they've invited like uh, streamers and such to come and join in some of the games. And so this year it's just going to be a virtual thing. I, I noticed, and I thought of you right away is there is uh, a group of people uh, from WWE that are going to be playing. Yeah, as a, a fan of wrestling, yeah, Xavier Woods, gentleman, is quite the gamer, and he has a YouTube channel as well. And you'll see him playing games and getting other wrestlers to play and stuff like that. So that's nice to get some other fans of the base. I know in the past when we had uh, what was it, Jocks Machina, we had right. the big show. He was on there, so seeing some other people there, and then also the some of the other players as well, seeing like Brandon Roth, who was uh, her Routh. I don't know. I say something, but he was Superman when it came back. Right. Um, so I, I think it'll be neat. I'm hoping I, I want to see what they use for their game as far as just how it flows and how it's going to look just because we've had a little bit of, you know, roll 20 and that kind of stuff there. I know they've made some pretty big strides with D and D beyond. So I'm, I don't know. I'm curious to see how their game runs and, and, it'll probably be flawless compared to the struggles that we have but yeah you know i i like roll 20 but there's definitely times where it's i don't feel like it's super super easy to use sometimes it can be a real pain in the ass uh, i haven't tried astral yet i've thought about giving it a shot just to see what the difference between the two are but so far roll 20 has very has worked well enough i do like the aspect that when you purchase like we've done some of the adventure league stuff in roll 20 when you purchase those you purchase it through roll 20 and it seamlessly integrates into your game you have maps you have tokens and i really like that yeah it's been nice i like the tokens too that's a pretty cool feature yeah i i wish there were better options for some of the character classes like uh asamirs and things like that there's just or even tieflings there's not a whole lot of better or good options for those characters for tokens but it, uh, that's besides the point 
This is a like we said, this is a fairly star-studded event. It's going to feature several different games and also a review of a new product slash adventure on the very first day. I have no idea. I haven't heard any sort of inkling. Do you have any suspicions on what it might be, Nolan? I don't think we've talked about the uh, the dice set coming out in the fall and how it was kind of weird that it was just by itself without anything. Right. So that is that's kind of my thought is maybe we'll finally get some tie-in to the was it Laurel Silverhand dice yes. set. I know she's kind of the Northern Reaches, one of the Seven Sisters. So, I mean, there's a lot of different areas that could go, but I don't know. Yeah, I guess we'll wait and see. We did have a new UA come out last week, I believe. And, of course, we had the interview with Katie, so we weren't able to talk about it. Nolan, what can you tell us about this UA? We did a UA on basically a revisited uh, subclasses. So uh, they were all ones that we'd seen before, but then seeing some of the feedback come through, it looks like they tweaked and tuned, gave them a... uh, a little different name, I guess. So we got a rogue, a warlock, and a wizard one. Uh, the rogue was one that we talked about in the past called the revived and had kind of that ability of every short rest, it could change around its proficiencies because it was a past life type thing. Now they're called the phantom. And so kind of uh, still the same walks the line between life and death, dealing with negative energy. Uh, they did keep the... Uh, they call it whispers of the dead. So every time you finish a short or a long rest, you can gain one skill or tool proficiency of your choice as basically uh, spirit shares its knowledge with you. And I, I, I don't know. I thought it was kind of, I haven't felt like we've gotten a lot of maybe ghost based undead non magic users, you know, and it's always kind of like, oh, it's a necromancer or, oh, speak with the dead. It's a cleric, you know, and so getting kind of a, a haunted one style feature was pretty cool. As I say, it altered some of the, the sneak attack uh, ability. As you nudge someone closer to the grave, you can cause deathly whales to be heard near them. Immediately after you deal sneak attack damage to a creature on your turn, you can target a second creature that you can see within 30 feet of the first creature, roll half the number of sneak attack dice for your level, and the second creature takes psychic damage equal to that there. So kind of a an echoing strike. Um, and you can use that a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus uh, between short and long, or when you finish a long rest. So I like that idea of maybe using your proficiency bonus as a modifier versus stats, because I don't know how you force a rogue, you know, oh, well, you, you know, they've done it with Swashbuckler, like, oh, well, now you need charisma for your initiative. I haven't seen a lot with your proficiency bonus. So Anything else on that one? Uh, you know, that's, I mean, the rest of it's, again, some more, some ghost type of things. Uh you can you when you kill something you can sever part of its soul before it leaves oh, and geez. you get a little a soul trinket um so uh, while you have a, a soul trinket on you you have advantage on death saving throws and constitution saving throws um you can have a number of maxima souls again equal to your proficiency modifier and as a bonus or as an action you can destroy one of your souls no matter where it's located uh and when you do you can ask that spirit uh a question and uh, it kind of knows extra information depending on how it is. It'll, depending on its relationship in, in, in life and death, it, it can answer you to the best of its ability. So, but yeah, just kind of a kind of a neat thing. Warlock got a genie. I think the old one was called Noble Genie, and now it's dealing with just the genie. So you can roll a d4, or you can pick which um, elemental style gen you made a deal with um and then your spell list is kind of based upon uh you know if you do an efriti it's more fire based if you do a dao it's more nature based so and that was kind of i don't know i mean it's it's a, it's a neat way of doing that i f- i like any time that people make deals for power that's not necessarily oh you sold your soul and so this is kind of a nice way of giving you another option that's a little more elemental and plain. And I think it's fun, the idea of, oh, you found a magical lamp and you got a genie. Like, yeah, no, actually, I found a magical lamp and the genie got me. You know, like, now I owe it. and Or we made a deal for its freedom. or you know, So it, it lends a lot to that kind of role play avenue. And you start to take on some characteristics of that style of it. So it's kind of an elemental without being a druid. Gives you another kind of elemental nature-based uh shaman style warlock the big one for the week again is the wizard i think it the old one was a lore one and uh, the big interesting thing on here is 
the magic kind of comes from an awakened spell book. And I, I, I like the idea of it. I think that's pretty cool. So you, uh, your spells in that spell book are, uh, you're able to modify them. You're able to amp them up a little bit. Uh, they call it the order of scribes. So, I mean, you can magically, I don't know. It felt like a tome warlock type thing. And it would have been a neat way to you bond with the book and now you can alter it. But again, wizards seem to get a lot of all the cool stuff. The game breaking thing on this here is, uh, Awakened Spellbook, when you uh, when you have the Awakened Spellbook and you're holding it, it grants you the following benefits. You can use the book as spell casting focus for your wizard spells, so you no longer need components or whatever you cast from the book. When you cast a wizard spell with a spell slot, you can temporarily replace its damage type with the damage type of another spell in your spellbook, as your spellbook magically alters the spell's formula for casting. So now we're talking about, hey, I have Shocking Grasp as a cantrip. Now my fireball is a Shocking Fireball or a Lightning Bolt, you know. And and that ability right there, we've seen in our own games of a Fire Sorcerer getting into hell and having all of a sudden all your fire spells, what you're good at, all of a sudden not be good at. This one here is like, oh, okay, that's that's obviously that fireball. Let's make it psychic. Let's make it thunder. Let's make it whatever, something that you know is not going to be resisted. And I find that to be pretty, pretty game changing. I mean, some of that limit is knowing the right spell for the right situation. Well, now you don't. You just need a spell of each elemental type, and it's the right spell for the right situation to overcome resistances. Really cool. Yeah, uh, the idea that that's a uh, a second level one is interesting. It's early enough that it comes online and makes it fun. You know, I think a lot of the People that were talking about it saw, I think it's the Tempest Cleric, that their channel divinity is whenever you do lightning or thunder damage, you can use your channel divinity to just make it max roll. So now you can kind of do, you know, once you get fireball, have a couple levels of that cleric, which is already a good multi-class because you get some healing spells that scale with spell slots. You get plate mail on your wizard, which overcomes a weakness. And now all of a sudden you're doing a 8d6 or just max damage thunderball. Wow. So without, a, and again, you can do that already in the game. Uh, a Tempest cleric into a storm sorcerer is a pretty popular one, but again, now you're not limited to being a sorcerer. You get to be a wizard and change out your spells as you need. So I think it's really strong. I think it's one of the better ones when it comes to just fixing a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, the fact that you get it at second level is pretty crazy. I, you know, It's one of those things that I would think you would need to go to like sixth level and earn. But I don't know. I don't know. It is what it is, I guess. I mean, you can find some crazy combinations. A couple levels of this, uh, a couple levels of Tempest Cleric for the lightning thing, pick up some uh, Dragon Sorcerer and get six levels of there. So you add your charisma damage to lightning damage and really just, I don't know, go all in on the effect. I think that is it for D&D unless you know something that I don't. I haven't seen anything. Again, it's all been kind of quiet. I guess that was the big announcement is this upcoming D&D Live. Uh so let's jump over to Tallis. Anything new there? Uh, I've been getting some more of the 3.5 stuff as far as just when it comes out. A lot, a lot, a lot of art um, would be the best way to put it. It's you, we've been getting different districts and you know, temple districts or the northern district, and it shows you what the shops would look like. It would show you uh, what the signs look like for that area. Um, and some of them are generic, some of them are pretty specific, of like a cathedral garden or this is a wealthy person's house. But they're all kind of in that very black line, uh, very, you know, white paper. So that way, if you were doing sketches or something like that, you could just kind of trace over it. But so far, that's kind of been the most of it. I've gotten all the big book for 3.5 and it's like 880 PDF pages and just (laughs) detailed. So it would be one of those things of it's a world you would jump into and and hopefully stay for a long time because it would be a lot of stuff to take in as much fun as we had playing in a different world with scarred lands i would imagine that would it's going to be nice to just jump into another world and give it a try just to branch away from as you and i've said just the richness of the lore that is in the the forgotten realms so it'll be nice to see a new realm yeah and the idea of i so we get these books and you know, it's like, oh, this is the rules of how to do it. And it kind of gives you an idea of what it is. And sometimes they give you a baby adventure. 
I always am curious uh, to see how the writers intended it to be run. Uh, not from, you know, this is how you should play standpoint, but I feel like it gives a good feel to it. You know, we've, we've played uh, critical role stuff, but playing, uh, playing that campaign and then like watching that campaign, you know, versus a, I don't know, kind of a, a difference in tone of like, Oh, this is what Matt Mercer had in mind for the elves, or this is, this is their real relationship. I didn't get that from the book. That makes it, you know, easier to not necessarily, well, maybe role play, maybe understand a little bit more. Scarred Lens was kind of that way too. Like it's a cool book. I could see that with like Theros, but once you actually have the adventure and then you kind of see, you know, these are kind of, they're not huge things. They're not going to tell you how to run the thing, but this is, this is how the nomadic orcs uh, act. Um, they're, they're very tribal, but they're very, you know, they, they, they're nomads. They're more this way versus what you read on paper of like, oh, they're just a bunch of, they're orcs and they're cavaliers and, you know, they're Mongolians and they're raiding and stuff like that. That's not, a, that's what I got from the book. Not at all what I got from the adventure that we read with them. And they were kind of a more honorable, uh, noble uh, Native American style versus like Mongolian horde. So I like when we get these kind of books that have a couple of adventures in them so you can get a tone to it and maybe a couple of examples of, you know, these are, these are Dwendalian elves. This is how they act. This is not necessarily dark elves that you're used to. Uh, don't jump to assumptions. So. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's head over to Onyx Path. The Kickstarter for Technocracy Reloaded is entering its last week. I'd imagine there's going to be a last-minute surge to back this one. This campaign was kind of interesting in that they were asking... I shouldn't say it interesting. This campaign was thrilling really to watch uh, as they were asking for 35,000 and have skyrocketed to 160,000. I guess people really want some mage stuff. It's 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 amazing. <laughs> I, I guess is what it is just from a standpoint of I you know for me it was never anything on my radar and seeing how huge of a following it has and especially the technocracy. Um that's one of the ones of when I first got into it you start hearing about it and how how cool it is so it, it was again not something that was ever on my radar and slowly learning this kind of stuff and i'm i'm shocked at how many people really enjoy it from a standpoint of i never even heard of it until i got it into hanging out with you and the cool thing about mage or the technocracy reloaded in this situation is is this is still for mage 20 there's not been any talk about a mage fifth edition yet so we don't know if that's going to happen or not so content for mage 20 is still being released so that is very much the the edition that you want to buy if you're trying to get into mage i will warn you though the core edition mage 20 rulebook is kind of like that tallest book that no one was talking about it is massive uh, you can pick it up in pdf format you can of course pick up the print on demand version i think the print on demand version is going to run you for the non-deluxe version, no less than $80. It's just a massive doorstop of a book. So just keep that in mind if you are interested in Mage, specifically Mage 20. Uh, keeping or Moving on to the Monday meeting notes, they did announce that their next Kickstarter will be Legend Lore. You may recall this was a Kickstarter a couple of months ago and was pulled because it coincided with the pandemic outbreak. And Rich Thomas and the folks over at Onyx Path knew that this was going to they, they felt like this was going to fund but it wasn't going to be a rapid fund like um technocracy reloaded and they also didn't want to throw this one out there when so many people were losing their jobs and struggling to make decisions and so they pulled this one and took a break from kickstarter for a little bit well they do feel like it's time to bring it back which is exciting because we did a little bit of looking at a legend lore and really enjoyed what we saw it, again it kind of takes you into another a whole other realm of like possibilities with high fantasy role playing. Steffi Devon, who is one of the developers slash writers for the book, has agreed to come on our show and talk to us about the game. So we will have an interview with her. So be sure to to watch out for that one. Legend Lore should launch. Um, I'd imagine they're going to do it uh, a couple weeks after the Technocracy Reloaded one ends. So make sure you keep that on your radar. We'll let you know when it goes live. This past Wednesday, Oak, Ash, and Thorn for Changing the Law 2nd Edition was made available on Drive-Thru RPG as a print-on-demand or PDF product. If you're a fan of Changing the Laws, check that one out. Onyx Path also opened up Dystopia Rising Evolution to community content on the StoryPath Nexus. Now, if you're someone who is aspiring to get into role-playing writing, 
or you have ideas for neat weapons and things like that you want to share it with the world the community content site like on the story path nexus or the storyteller path is a really great way to or storytellers vault sorry to get your stuff out there through onyx path uh, i know there's the dms guild for dungeons and dragons that you can do that on as well so if you if you aspire to be an RPG writer, check out the community development sites. This is a great way for you to get your product out there, maybe make a little bit of money uh, or put it out there for free if you just want people to give it a try. I didn't see anything else for Onyx Path, did you? I did not. Okay. Well, let's chuck over to Modifius then and well, that was fun. <laughs> There's not a whole lot new with Modifius. I did I think I saw that there was another yes, another Conan source book. I, I had it in my notes somewhere, and I cannot find where I left that. So well, maybe I'll find it next week. And I didn't see anything new from Chaosium either. So nothing new to report there. Nolan, you had a Kickstarter you wanted to talk about. Why don't you tell us about, the what is it, the Cities of Myth? We, well, I was cycling through my uh, Twitter feed and saw somebody pop up that they were working on it, and it was finally going to Kickstarter. Uh, it was just enough to catch my eye uh, with Fallen Camelot. And I, I am a sucker for Arthurian legend, and thought that I was like, well, that's a really neat idea. What a good, you know, world based in magic and myth, and uh, I don't know, just kind of a. We've talked about vampire before. Of like, it's nice to have fantasy based in a world that you know. You know, it's like, oh, you're in London, you're in Atlanta, you're in wherever. I can see that, I can feel that, and I feel like uh, Arthurian legend is kind of that same thing. You know, very minimum. You know, Knights of the Round Table, King Arthur, Merlin. Uh, you know, we can see Stonehenge. We know it's kind of the the folklore of Britannia. You know, so all that kind of stuff is is there. And so this here picks up uh, about a hundred years after the fall of King Arthur. Um, and kind of where you play through and how you're going to help remake the world. Uh, I believe uh, Morgan Le Fay has won uh, Queen Morgana. Uh, Let's see here. 100 years after the death of Arthur, Queen Morgana's once peaceful rule has sullied the land through corrupted ley lines. Now in the three-banner war for Camelot, the armors of Bois Le Noir, Sir Mordred, and Queen Morgana Vie to prove their leaders are the rightful rulers of Lagras. So, some factions you can deal with where you're from, uh, dealing with the, the the realm of Albion. They're going to add five new races. They have one new class, twenty four new subclasses. Their goal was two for each of the core classes. Um, they have some some background stuff. They've got a bunch of magic items that they're adding. Some new artifacts from you know, whether it's the Holy Grail or you actually find Excalibur. Who knows on that one there? So it was enough to kind of get my attention. Not necessarily my art style as far as that goes, sure. but I really enjoyed the world. And if it works, they kind of described as you know this is Fallen Camelot is kind of the area that they wanted to do for cities of myth and with cities of myth, the future ones would be Atlantis, El Dorado, Shangri-La. So kind of these things based in our historical lore here, you actually get to go play in those worlds. And I think, you know, I really like the Camelot idea. I think an Atlantis one would be really cool. You know, the, the politics of El Dorado and keeping that place safe. So I don't know. It, it was, it was enough to catch my eye. Um, I'm a huge fan for that kind of stuff. We keep seeing, Scarred Lands and Theros and kind of that Greek mythology. Uh, and this one here, I was like, I would I would do this over that almost any day of the week. Um, I, I like their talking about it. Of It's uh, compatible with a couple of different systems. Uh, you wouldn't necessarily have to be there. You could be, you know, you're Joe Blow from Waterdeep, and all of a sudden you're standing in the middle of Stonehenge, and this crazy old bat named Merlin <laughs> just summoned you there to help save the realm. So it, it does kind of have that time traveling realm pulling magician there to be like hey we need your hand uh we need new heroes sorry i brought you here if you could help us then i'll send you back if you want to go back type thing so i thought that was kind of a cool idea they've got 22 days to go their goal was 3000 they're 2200 uh so they're they're almost there um and again it's tough to have a kickstarter right now uh but i i guess i i really like the idea of the world and it caught my eye so i hope they i hope they succeed i hope that comes out yeah, that that would be really cool. I know for me, when when I was first getting into fantasy in general, and this is many 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 years ago, the Legend of King Arthur was one of the ones that absolutely gripped me. I remember watching uh, the Excalibur movie in the '80s. 
uh, the one that started Patrick Stewart and uh, a couple other famous people who's I'm drawing blanks on now. Um, that was a fantastic movie. I loved every bit about it. It scared me. It it bewildered me. And Merlin quickly became my favorite character. So I've read a lot about Arthur and Arthurian legend. It's just one of my favorites. So yeah, I could absolutely see where this would grab your attention. I, I did notice I was just kind of flipping through some of the the pledges here. A lot of times when we do Kickstarters, it seems like the cheapest way to actually get a copy of the book is right around fifty to sixty dollars. I noticed here it says uh, the pledge of twenty five dollars or more, which is the adventure pledge, includes a hard or soft cover book. Now, what gets me here is that it's at cost plus shipping. So it sounds like, and I just wanted to keep, make sure people understood, if you want the hardcover or softcover book, you're going to have to pay extra for it. You'll still get the PDF copy. You'll still get the stretch goals and the exclusive backer updates. Just remember, if you want the book, you're still going to have to pay a little bit more for it. Mm-hmm. So, so things to keep in mind. I, I I don't like doing Kickstarters. Like I, I did a Kickstarter at one for one uh, item. I can't remember what it was. And it was... I was just giving them money and still had to pay for the product afterwards. And I immediately canceled that one because had it been made more clear, I would have been okay with it, I guess. But I was like, well, I'm giving you $70 and now I have to pay a hundred more. Right. So just keep that in mind. I think it's a cool project and I think it's worth backing. Just remember that this is what's going on there. Yep. Yeah, I freaking love King Arthur and that whole world. I'm I'm glad you mentioned that one. Topic of the night. So our topic of the night is the strains in the game Dystopia Rising Evolution. And I just wanted to cover quickly what strains are, and then Nolan and I will take turns talking about the various strains. In the world of Dystopia Rising, human beings as we know them now have almost entirely died out. Between disease, radiation, and other hazards of the post-apocalyptic world, humans very nearly went extinct. Those who did survive soon mutated into different strains, various new peoples with their own cultures, abilities, and weaknesses. So the strains, I I don't want to label them as classes, but really it kind of almost is like a class. So keep that in mind. The strains in Dystopia Rising Evolution, and these are different from the strains in Dystopia Rising, are the Devoted, the Elitariat, Evolved, Gorgers, Landsmen, Mutant, Nomads, and Townies. Nolan and I are going to give you a brief overview of each strain. Think of this more as an introduction and not a full description. If you want to learn more, grab yourself a copy of Dystopia Rising Evolution at DriveThruRPG. There is, of course a link in the show notes for that. So let's start with, well, do you want to go first? You want to pick one? Sure. Uh, and I'm just going to go, we'll just go in order, at least for, for the first one. The, the book starts with the devoted uh, and it does have, uh, gosh, it's going to be really hard to do this stuff without referencing other things. So if you're a fan of this and I call it a clan or a class or whatever, then I apologize because that's what they are to me. So, uh, devoted are, and when I first read them, they came across as, uh, kind of like paladins to me. Uh, they are, uh, when the world fell, uh, basically they found something to believe in. And it's not a second edition paladin where it's like a gift of God. It's almost a, a conviction. Uh, their belief system fuels what they are. Um, now, whether you consider that fanatical um, or, you know, kind of what they, uh, good, bad, or indifferent, it's it's kind of one of those things. So uh, they are the, basically they survive by their beliefs. Uh, they are mind over matter type things, skills of close combat, integrity, lore, medicine. Um, definitely again came across as a, a paladin of fifth edition to me, uh, where their charisma kind of is what powers them through and their belief in their oath. Uh, example connections, priests, cult leaders, local government leaders. The uh, has three different subclasses underneath the devoted uh and i hate the uh, <laughs> the pronunciation stuff because I i'm terrible at it but uh as accensorites maybe uh, yeah I, I don't know either yeah. your guess is as good as mine <laughs> i'm like are you uh like is it like a kardashian thing or did you ascend or <laughs> i don't know exactly which one but anyway so uh nicknames spiritual leaders faithful believers uh and and these are the people that when the world ended they turned to faith and this here is very much your devotion kind of paladin 
I like the idea that their belief becomes so strong that it mutates their flesh to show what they believe. So uh, they they kind of call themselves either the final knights, as in knights of uh, the round table, or sainthood of ashes. We take on traits that physically represent our faith. And so kind of you're, you're not necessarily good guys, but just your highly devoted paladin style. Uh, red stars are people that believe in mankind. We believe in the goodness of others and what can be done for the world if a person only works with others. So again, I think this is the, uh, it's the good guy in the, in the walking dead thing that's trying to build a community, um, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, whether that person falls from grace or not. I mean, is what it is, but this is kind of that, that person that leads the, uh, the community brings people together. doesn't turn people away. Again, hopefully there are, you know, the, the bigger threat out there is, the monsters of the world, not necessarily other people. Uh, then the unborn takes a naturally uh, or unnaturally darker turn where they're kind of more of a, a, not necessarily a fallen style, but they're closer to death. Their skin is faint and green. Uh, they, they kind of are, they call themselves unborn, but they're almost like risen zombies. I don't, <laughs> it's, it's an interesting one. Uh, Grave mind worshippers, death seekers, people call them fungus. Um, so they have a kind of that, again, tinge to the, the grave, not afraid of it, uh, close to death. And so kind of a, a darker turn on this here. So again, oh, yeah. for me, uh, it, it does come across as kind of a, a paladin, um, just depending on which kind of subclass you take, how far that conviction goes and what you believe in, whether it's faith, people, or the grave. I, I love the picture for the devoted because this is clearly one of the uh, unborn because he does have that green tinge and you can see the purpling spider webbing of his veins. Uh, this looks like a zombie with a gun, with a couple of guns, actually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he looks pretty badass. So that is the devoted. Uh, next up, we have the elite elite. I was struggling with this one last night and trying Me to. Me too. I'm going to say Elitariat. These are, you know, they referenced the Ivory Tower, so it immediately made me think of the Ventru and Vampire the Masquerade. These are your me business too. people. Yeah. They, they're they the ones who, you know, you always see those people. Gosh, think about what is his name? Joe in uh, the new Mad Max movie, the guy who kind of took over and was ruling that little community of those, those those crazy psycho people. These are the people who are taking advantage of other people's. They have the resources, the knowledge. They're the born leaders. They feel like they are meant to guide others and lead them through the hard times. Uh, people don't like them because they are well-funded. They are well-equipped. They are well-provided for, which is why other strains hate them so much. Some of their skills include leadership, persuasion, subterfuge, and technology. Edge, their edge, which all subclasses have an edge, is wealth. So they have the money, the the resources. I don't want to say money because money probably doesn't exist in Dystopia Rising. As Manolan mentioned, there are substrains within each strain. So you have the Digitarians. It's got to be Digitarians. <laughs> we're we're horrible because we just don't know how to pronounce this stuff. Um, yep. Only if you know how the world fell, but we pass the story through our people. It is said that the infection first took hold. Our ancestors were the ones who that tried to craft a cure. We stayed in bunkers funded by private uh, corporations as we worked tirelessly. Even after the bomb fell, we still worked. Our ancestors were the last humans and the last people to finally succumb to the infection. So these are the people who are working to rebuild technology. Uh, they're, they're, they claim that they're smarter than the other strains and they're better equipped with their knowledge. And they wear tokens uh, from the world before as they knew it so like jewelry and things like that there's also it, i was gonna say it reminded me of uh the umbrella corporation in as insane as the resident evil movies got but they sure. had the bunker they still had the tech they're doing things behind while the world's kind of falling apart yeah no that's a great example you also have the pure bloods highbrows gold barons bourgeois these are the nicknames for the purebloods. Other strains will tell you all sorts of things about us. They say we're peacocks and socialites. They tell you we're lazy, but that's not true. There's a reason we're on top. And it's not because we got here by sitting on our asses. Uh, by the way, if, if you are offended by foul language, you probably don't want to read this book because this is a very rough, or not, not rough, it, it's the, it is written to depict the world that it is depicting. So there is some, there is some adult language, so keep that in mind. 
So the purebloods are intelligent in social situations. They're manipulative. Uh, some people would say they take advantage of their knowledge. These are the well-dressed people. And, and in a world, a post-apocalyptic world, these are the ones who are going to stand out because they are so well-dressed. They tend to be leaders, generals, mayors. Um, they're the ones that help band others together in trying times. Then you have the Celestros. Uh, these are the go-getters, the ones that get our hands dirty and the ones that will throw down in a fight if need be. We are the second generation of purebloods, and we are here to stay. Yeah, I, I get the impression that, you know, these are, like I said, the Ventrue, and, and each of these these subclasses are really representative of, like, of different levels within the clan. And, you know, you have your enforcers, you have those people who run the businesses. Uh, and, and Nolan and I do this all the time where we compare these two games that we know because it just helps us, well... Understand makes the transition a little bit easier. Yeah, yeah. I, I think as I was reading the subclass, I was like, well, maybe these are just uh, maybe this is just the vampire clan. You know, like that this is the order because the purebloods kind of reminded me of uh, Toriadors. Uh, Celestros kind of reminded me of Bruhas. You yeah. know, like I mean, it, it was one of those things. But again, it's all very controlled. It's all very organized. Uh, yep, yep. It, so. It's like a confluence of the Venture and the Lasombra. So yeah, that is the. Elitariates. Nolan, how about the evolved? Yeah. <laughs> we can pronounce Yeah, I that got one. the easy one to say. <laughs> um, so the evolved are people that have done just that. Uh, what I liked about them was it seemed like their evolution was based upon what they did in life. If I remember, yeah, we didn't form naturally. We were engineered to be as we are, which is why we have so many unique genetic quirks. Um, and when you kind of look into the, the deeper side of them, they athletics, close quarter combat, command, technology. The picture of the guy looks like a half green oozing Hulk barbarian. Um, but where they're made, uh, irons, reclaimers, and unstable are their uh, subclasses. Uh, the irons, we are once used as labor and factories and coal mines. Uh, we were once relegated to only the most back-breaking labor. Now, though, we have broken free. We are our own strain, and we will continue to push forward for a brighter future. So they, again, took on kind of where they worked, uh, melded with the, not necessarily melded with the iron, but kind of took on that physical aspect. Their bodies are larger than others. They're able to carry and lift heavy loads. I mean, they were... I don't know. I mean, it's just kind of the evolved into what they needed to be, I guess. Um, reclaimers, we come from the northern reaches, used to the ice and cold and hard labor. So again, their genetics kind of altered their stuff to become more defined in their backs and arms. Their eyes are silvery or piercing blue. Uh, again, part of the, the northern side, their skins can be uh, kind of leathery and tough. Uh, so kind of a, I don't know, not necessarily a Wolverine, but kind of that that build of the bigger upper body, leathery, maybe a werewolf style. I don't know. What was interesting uh, about these guys, as I, was, as I was reading through it, it made me think, especially with the area that we live in, you imagine like our coal miners and if this happened to them. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that's the, that's the feeling I got to it. Like, you know, the irons seem like that. The reclaimers, I imagine like your mountain men, your lumberjacks, the guys, the ice road truckers up there yeah. stuck in the North. And the last one is the unstable. And I thought it was kind of interesting, uh, kind of a groan and a lab. Yeah. Uh, it seems like all of them were kind of messed with or modified, but these guys here, what was it? Psy callers, which I thought was interesting. So uh, I didn't know if maybe it had kind of a psychic thing. They're descendants of kind of a, a test group of people that could only live in life support chambers, um, but they had extraordinary abilities. They could cause psionics to work on their behalf and could control the undead. Uh, we are descendants. And while those powers are much diminished, we can survive by ourselves without support. So again, our, our blood glows uh, a faint blue in color. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, yeah, that, another one that's kind of I haven't seen anything like it. I suppose from uh, it was it was harder for me to maybe pick a, a subclass to or a, a game to try and throw this one in comparison to. Other than I kept thinking of uh, Marvel characters, uh, Colossus, and and and, and that kind of stuff as well. We're just kind of these these big hulking, strong, uh, brutal people. That. 
Although I think the mutants later would be more of the the X-Men type. Yeah, and I think that one was kind of the idea of like, well, that's going to come across probably quite a bit. Just because it is such a vast genre. Of- so then the next strain, and boy, these guys were kind of freaky to read through, uh, are the Gorgers. These are, well, it says, they say that we evolve from the dead. The infection took over corpses from the past and reanimated them. But with us, they played a cruel trick. The infection left us our intelligence, even though we still hunger for the flesh and blood of people. These are cannibals. And not only are they cannibals, but they are, they're, they're dead. They're zombies. And, but they are sentient zombies. They are intelligent zombies. And they need flesh and blood to survive. Uh, they are... They claim that they are the apex of the food chain. They are predators. Others may dislike us for it, but we have advantages that they don't. We're subtle, nimble, and manipulative if need be. It works to our advantage. Uh, some of their skills include close combat, lore, subterfuge, and survival. And, of course, their edge is, well, cannibalism. The subclasses is the full dead. These these are exactly that. They are the full dead. They're corpses, zombies, sentient dead. Imagine all the emotions that you feel during a day. Now imagine that they're all numbed and deadened. Imagine if you only had memories of what you have felt. Uh, we are a cruel joke, a parody of life. We have memories of our lives before the fall of mankind, but even those are false. The grave mind has reanimated us in an attempt, and grave mind is capitalized here, uh, in an attempt to create humans once more. Our memories are just a mishmash of what someone or several someones once uh, had. The Lascarians, and, and again, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, cannibals, roaches, nightcrawlers are some of the nicknames. And it says, uh, these these are the ones that live down in the tunnels. Uh, they stay away. They, you know, they don't like necessarily being up in the daylight. They escape the light and hate other strains by hiding beneath the earth. Are they? I'm sorry, we escape the light and hate of other strains by hiding beneath the earth. Uh, here we can feast on dead flesh to our heart's content without judgment. Uh, we're told we're a, ba- a branch of the Semper Mort, which is the next substrain. The result of what happens when something uh, that was once dead gains life. Maybe that's true. Again, these are the ones that live underground. The sun can burn our flesh and then emerge in the night to do trade, to, to, to farm, and to hunt. Some call it savage, but it's a savage world. Semper Mort, these are the vampires. Uh, bloodsuckers, leeches, pickles. We look frightening to most strains. Our nails are thick and sharp and and our teeth are jagged. A series of fangs in our mouths that are meant to help us consume only one substance, blood. We accept that we're monsters. We are predators that either maim, kill, or beg for food. This is uh, their major flaw is their memory. Most of us remember waking up from a glass tube, struggling to breathe as we crawled away from our birthplace. Researchers tell us that we were dead bodies before the infection took hold, mutating us as we look as we are. So it kind of makes me feel like maybe they were unstables at one point, like in the beginning, before they got infected. And then eventually, as they crawled away from the tube, like it says, they were infected and turned into this strain. With these, with the gorgers... I, it's it's difficult to compare them to another class or even to another clan, like because like I do in Vampire. The closest I could come to are the Nagaraja, and that's only because they are flesh eaters. Uh, I was thinking, uh, kind of remind me of Nosferatu. Yeah, uh, just yep. just kind of that there. The the art for it reminds me of the Borderlands uh, game, uh, the Raiders, the Psychos, and they're they're cannibals and crazies and band together and they eat people to survive and so okay. I've, i unfortunately i've never as much as i want to i've never played borderlands because i can't play first person shooters they make me well if you, if you get a chance at least watch the trailer i will do that because the music is awesome <laughs> <laughs> i will do that i yeah i hear you talk about borderlands i hear my my boys talk about borderlands and i really want to play it but unless i have a box of dramamine sitting next to me i can't do it <laughs> So that is the gorgers, the flesh eaters, the 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 dead. Nolan, tell us about the landsmen. Well, hey, we found rangers in this game, and I'm excited <laughs> for it. So, the, the landsmen are while some people chose to go to cities and hide underground, these ones went to the wild. They worked a small farm, so out in the waste. Uh, the picture of them looks very much like a uh, the old cowboys. Um, so they are. 
they are survivalists um, and they're, they're proud of it, especially when you get to the uh, subclass and one of them is called Americans. So, um, so they know the land the best, the wilderness, athletics, close combats, persuasion, survival, example connections, farmers, hunters, scouts, uh, again, screamed ranger class to me uh, all the way through maybe a little cowboy landowner type thing. Subclasses, Americans. Uh, natural ones and quiet folk. Uh, Americans, uh, basically, they, they are what they are. We're the salt of the earth, the people that make up the body of the country. We're the ones that uh, man farms and work in small towns and aren't afraid to get into a bar brawl after working a hard day. Uh, our foreheads are larger than other strains, which is why you usually see us wearing hats in one form or another, which I thought was pretty funny. So quick to anger, quick to laugh. Uh, reckless abandon, uh, social pariah, maybe a little more barbarian-esque versus, you know, ranger, but still that natural side of things, but a lot more maybe carefree, good old boy. Uh, natural ones, during the fall of mankind, our ancestors realized that staying in cities and towns would only get them killed. They're smart enough to don the camouflage and use their training to hunt and gather and survive. So now they're basically a fixed part of the woods. This kind of reminded me of maybe what would happen if they were elves. Okay, yeah. So they uh, they kind of do their thing they do in their woods. They survive by staying hidden and then just kind of survive less. We know how to turn almost anything to a, a weapon. We use paint as camouflage. Uh, they divide into groups uh, and kind of work together. But uh, I, th I thought they were kind of neat. I could see them being snipers. And again, I don't know how much combat goes into these games, but I could just see that person that steps out and kind of like the elves of you didn't even know they were there kind of moment in Lord of the Rings when they're fighting the spiders and stuff like that. Uh, quiet folk, big guys, small towners, insulars. Yes, hello there. We're often overlooked. We know most people just assume we're quiet. Americans are remnants. We're not though. We're just soft-spoken in big cities and towns. Uh, their eyes are a fraction larger than other strains. They usually live with close families and cousins. We don't like big cities or lots of people. We don't ever be. Um, uh, please don't ever be impolite to us. While we welcome you to enjoy our hospitality, we hate it when people are rude. And I was like, oh. So now we have halflings. So, so. you got to finish that paragraph because that is an awesome paragraph. While we may look disarming, you don't want to get us angry. We'll quietly show up at your front door with our torches before silently taking you away in the night. That so, is, well, I read that last night and I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, uh, acute step and balance step, uh, strength condition overstimulated. So again, they, they when I read this kind of stuff, it, it reminded me of maybe like a, a small... And I don't know why you know, a halfling or a gnome, like gnomes, I think could always be kind of that evil thing of like, well, that guy's a rude asshole. So maybe a combination of a, a little folk race of like, oh, come have, you know, tea and crumpets. And like, I don't like cupcakes. And you're like, you just made the list. <laughs> you're fucked. <laughs> we'll see you later then. Refuse my baked goods. It's my grandmother's recipe, you asshole. <laughs> Yeah, I, I read, like I said, I read that paragraph last night and it just, it, I had to read it aloud to my wife and she was like, oh, wow, those guys sound evil. Yeah. Yep. It's the quiet ones you have to watch out for. Yeah. So that's a little landsman. Uh, I, I think that's one of those ones too. When I read it, I was like, okay, this is a good kind of, if I was going to play this game for the first time, this is probably where I'd go just because of where I'm from. I can see it. Sure. I can hear it. I can feel it. I understand hunters. I understand the woods. Probably the easiest transition for me. So I can see that. Yeah. So the next one is the mutants. And this is definitely, you know, uh, you know, actually, I don't want to say X-Men or Marvel because this is more like the Morlocks in X-Men. These are the, because the mutants here aren't, aren't like the Cyclopses or the Wolverines or this, or the, um, uh, Colossus is these these there's different ideas so it says Darwinism claim evolution is key to survival well sometimes evolution does a funny thing and we're proof of that our ancestors fled to the wasteland and met with radiation and harsh con harsh conditions their children sickened and died but they persisted and became stronger with each passing generation they survived and even thrived but were forever changed because of it our physical mutations largely defined us and, which is perhaps why we've become so good at hiding them. We learn to fit in with other strains, hiding our our peculiarities, unless we are with other mutants. We're not ashamed of what we are, but we do know sometimes it's best to blend in rather than stick out. So you have the remnants, which is the first of the substrains, uh, leftover splicers, mixed bloods. No one really wants to be a remnant. No one really wants a remnant either. We're usually born of mixed strain couplings, 
in a radiate in an irradiated area. You see whether neither where we are neither one strain or another, which means we're something else entirely. Most of us have a mutation of some kind, whether it's a, a tail, strange webbing between our fingers, scale-like skin, thick green veins, or something else. We can usually pass for other strains uh, if we hide our mutations. You know, it really feels like this is your halflings uh, or half whatever in Dungeons & Dragons for the Remnants because it is that half-elf, half-dwarf, half-whatever, where you, you don't exactly, you're not exactly an elf, but you are this mixture. Uh, then you have retrogrades. Do you know what it feels like to wake up in the morning and find that half of your face is falling off? And that one really struck me. Uh, it says, we do. It's something we deal with on a regular basis. Fortunately, we know how to make light of it. And the cool thing about this is, like, their skin molds and decays and it sloughs off in patches and strips that show the muscle beneath. I mean, it's like looking at a zombie, but it does grow back and it grows back really quickly. So it's this constant cycle. It's like a snake shedding its skin. So you have this constant cycle of skin falling off and skin regrowing and it's painful. This isn't exactly an easy thing for the retrogrades to go, for, go or to go through. A lot of them keep their skin covered and it's uh, not because they're ashamed, but more out of survival because they do look like the undead and zombies are something you face in this game it is an enemy that you would face. So they have to keep themselves covered out of survival. Last, you have the tainted. Uh, some say we are kin to raiders, but that's not true. We're just evolved to be able to harbor and metabolize bad brain, which is also capitalized, uh, the disease that turns most strains into raiders, but not us. We just constantly have it, even if it doesn't progress. You see, we may be a bit uh, twitchier than other strains. We may be a bit more aggressive. We may be a bit more likely to have a taste of dead flesh like the Lasarians, but we're still people. We can still reason and choose not to attack others. We have more stamina than others and are more suited to survive in hearth con harsh conditions in wastelands. It's like freaking cannibal dwarves with really good stamina. <laughs> they typically stick together. They don't like to mix with other strains. It's just better that way, safer for them, because other strains don't understand them. Mostly don't understand their temple or their tempers. So yeah. That is the mutants. And now you get to talk about what I think is quickly became my favorite strain. Well, you can talk about them then, and I'll take the last one. Well, I, sure. Why not? Okay, so the nomads. Um, this screamed Mad Max-ish to me. And I mentioned that to Katie when I talked to her. And, you know, Mad Max was more of a the whole world political and and, and um social economical had fallen apart and this of course is post-apocalyptic the nomads are well it says the first thing most people ask you is where are you from well that's a funny question for us we travel the wastes doing trade and transporting others from settlement to settlement our home is the road and the sea and we don't stay in one place for too long we came from those that found safety by moving from place to place gathering resources when they could and moving on when there was nothing left for them we learned the the different cultures and idiosyncrasies idiosyncrasies of other strains we have to if we're going to survive people see us as hardened by travel but friendly some even ask us to stay but we can't we're always on the move and the first of the sub strains is probably the strain that i would play and that is the diesel jock the diesel jock are i mean think mechanic think think that that guy in mad max that crazy guy that you happen to run into that can fix absolutely anything oh my gosh it just struck me the uh the crazy russian in the movie armageddon uh, who says you fix things in Russian space stations by beating on it. I could see playing a diesel jock with that kind of an attitude where, uh, you know, I know my machine and the way you fix it is you just clank on it for a little while. Oh, look, it's working again. Um, it says, first, most people see the dust in the distance. Then there's the roar of our rides. There's nothing like taking it to the open road with your fellow road warriors. We're the strongest and the fastest thing out there and to hell with anything that gets in our way. Okay, so because of you, Nolan, now I'm thinking of the Road Warriors from wrestling driving big old monster trucks that have been tweaked out to drive across the waste. I could dig it. Yep, that's only because of you. Uh, the, the important thing to them, of course, is their vehicles, is their rides. One of the worst things you can do is do damage to them. We show no mercy when someone decides to harm the one thing that stands between us and death on the road. Because of that, we know how to fix and repair rides easily. The Rovers... Um, they take the rules of the road seriously. Diesel jocks are perceived as more aggressive and harder than us, 
but we can be just as hard in our own way. If someone wrongs us, we always remember it, and we pass down the memory to our children and grandchildren. The reason that there's the saying, uh, never cross a rover. We usually work in caravans, moving from place to place. We create roving towns with dentists, shoemakers, and engineers, and more. So it, it, it goes back to, I was thinking in Scarred Lands, when we ran into, in, in Vengeance of the Shun, when we ran into that orc community, that nomad community that traveled all over with their, like their whole town would just travel. And it made me think of that. So yeah, you have this 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 group of, of rovers who do travel and they do take their cities with them. And sometimes I'd imagine it's got to be out of necessity because maybe they happen upon an area that's irradiated and they can't stay. Or maybe they have it upon an area and there's so much violence from all the the nasties that you meet that are the beasties i think is what what katie called them so they have to be on the move these the rovers tend to have leg muscles that are stronger than most strains were built for long distance walking and travel and it shows the last is the saltwise the saltwise the description of these explains that these are the folks who were created uh, uh, they, they lived out on oil platforms and massive flotillas and they weren't there, you know, when the world ended, so to speak. They escaped the horrors of the land. But it doesn't mean they escaped unscathed because they can breathe both air and water. Uh, they have a set of gills. They also have two sets of eyelids, which allows them to see underneath the waves. Their feet are slightly larger than normal strains, and they have webbing, kind of like the mutants, which, you know, you talk about that crossbreeding of, of uh, strains. They have webbing between their fingers, which, of course, helps them to swim. Most people have a hard time telling our gender, which isn't surprising because they can change gender depending on necessity. Uh, we're known for our ships and fishing exploits, and we never stay in one place for very long. Uh, after all, the sea is changed, and we must change and flow with it. Uh, remember the River King in Into the Badlands? Yeah. I could see that being assault-wise. Yeah, I was thinking of, uh, what's the uh, water world? Was that Kevin Costner? Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> the, one of the few movies that Kevin Costner did that just flopped. <laughs> yeah, it's one of my favorite Kevin Costner movies. Is it really? I've actually never seen it. <laughs> uh, it's terrible, and I enjoyed it. Oh, see, that's like me in Battlefield Earth. It's terrible, and I loved it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that is the Nomads. Nolan, why don't you wrap this up for us? Yeah, so the last but not least, we have the Townies, and these are the people that hid in the cities and found a way to adapt i guess or make the best of it uh, i like their subclasses because it kind of gives the idea of maybe where they decided to take up their city and that personality kind of follows as, as well so we have the bay walkers um and they are anything about them is uh, they tell their history on their skin so they they mark tattoos and stuff like that about their lives our people because of how the infection works with them their skin scars and takes ink more easily both show our strength to the world uh stoic people they live on the outskirts of larger settlements working together in dockyards uh, they are very light of foot is the way i took it kind of because of the ability to be on boats or whatever it is uh uh, and they seem to be very quick-witted and smart. And it seems like there's kind of a, between these different factions, uh, a little bit of play uh, on personalities, which, again, yeah, Baywalkers is like, oh, okay, so we've got the people from California. Right. Uh, and then you've got the Yorkers. And again, tough as nails, skin is thicker than others. They're more happy to throw down if someone insults us. Those smart ass Baywalkers. I was like, okay, so we got the New Yorkers, big personalities. If you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. Stronger and larger than the puny Baywalkers. Uh, they're from the inner cities. So again, now you've got this kind of clash of conflicts, East Coast, West Coast. But the, gosh, the Vegasians? Since part I, Vegas? Yeah, I don't know. Part Vegas, part Asian? Vegasians? Yeah, you know what? I would assume it's probably from Vegas. That's and that's what you get out of it too. Oh uh, yeah, they Archers. are. <laughs> yep, they are. Some call us cheats, liars, and thieves. Basically, they are very good at navigating social waters. Uh, we'll play the upper hand. It does come across as a a swindler or a, a gambler. Uh, they dress dress col colorfully. Uh, they want to be noticed. If we're easy to pick out a crowd, then people are more likely to do business with us. Uh, we run bars, entertainment, more for the denizens of our towns and our cities. Don't cheat us. So again, uh, maybe a Toreador, maybe the, again, the guy running the bar. 
uh, you know, playing a lot of those games like the Fallout games uh, or the Outer World, you know, you kind of get this idea of I can see all of these fitting into one town and being kind of a, a neat uh, way to play or setting up or building a city, I guess, with these people. Now, again, you've got those different personalities. The thing I really like about most of them seems to be that they're really into, I mean, they make the towns work. Um, the ability to survive, you know, survive everything that happened in, you know, say Atlanta or New York or whatever, you would, you would be quick. You would, I could see them being, you know, hardy, fast, you know, runners, maybe some parkour, you know, some of that stuff. But then also they have like rooftop gardens. They've, you know, they live above that kind of stuff. So really go anywhere with the townies as far as what you want to make them. But I could see creating a, you know, creating a water deep with these personalities real easy of, you know, just the different conflicts and, and the factions and stuff. It would be fun to be, you know, a landsman rolling in like, oh, I have to go to the big city and, you know, seeing all these personalities. So that is, that's all the strains. I, I've been flipping through this book a little bit and, you know, this, this book is really neat. It's the artwork and it is really well done. It, it, it really screams. I can definitely see Borderlands, that post-apocalyptic style. There's some really cool characters that are already built that people can just pick up and, and use. And then, of course, there is a bestiary within the book, so you can see some of the monsters and stuff that you're facing. Uh, I think Dystopia Rising looks like a lot of fun. I am anxious to give it a try. Nolan, do you have anything else about it? I don't. I think, again, kind of like what you said, I, I really like the layout. I really like the art style. This is a, I mean, it just is a visually pleasing book to look at. Um, even on the PDF side of things, like I, I just I like the layout, I like the the tone of it. I like, I mean, the letters look good, the the way it's written looks good, the art is good. I mean, it, it's it's a fun book to look at. And usually, when we flip through these PDFs and stuff like that, there's a lot of time where I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm kind of seeing the same thing I've seen before. You know, it, it they all start to blend together. If I'm looking at a you know a D and D book from Wizards of the Coast, I know what to look at. This here's really good. And I think it's probably in the same veins as some of their other books. Oh. Uh, what was it? What, I can't remember what the other one was where you're the superhero sort of uh, collateral damage. Cheyenne? Is that what you think? Yeah, it could be. So I, I like that style. I like the style of book. I like the I like the big page for you know the townies and the picture and the layout. Right. Um, so yeah, it's they did a really good job with it. Um, and I can see I can see the joy of it. I'm curious to see how the the game goes. As far as you know, popularity, because um, this is you know the the second version of it, but that LARP became so big that I see a lot of people playing that, and it's like, gosh, if you were really into that, I mean, it would be hard to sit down at a table and play. So I don't know how many people. So hopefully, like I said, hopefully it's popular. Hopefully people enjoy it because it, it looks cool. I mean, again, it's one of those things. If you can, I think we can all relate. We've got enough social influences of n having an idea of a. Like you said, Mad Max or Walking Dead, or you know, you could really create a fun, futuristic, after the fall America or Canada or wherever you're at, right. and and be easy to jump into and, and play. I did notice that Katie is running a, um, she's doing a an actual play stream, and they're playing. Of course, they're playing Dystopia Rising Evolution, and I caught a little bit of the YouTube video after it was posted in. They are playing in old York, which I just have to assume is New York, and they have the different several different strains represented. So you should check that out. I believe it's going to be I believe it's on the Onyx Path uh, YouTube channel. I think that's correct. If so, if you're curious about what a game of, of um, Dystopia Rising would look at look like, that might be an option for you to check out. I, I agree with you, Nolan, in that the book is very well laid out. I love reading um, Onyx Path stuff because typically I don't see any like major editing errors. Uh, the layout just looks really, really good. It, it is the artwork is visually pleasing, and it the it also the artwork style uh, reminded me of they came from beneath the sea, a little bit. So I, it was nice to see that continuity. I like it when I pick up a book like you said with Dungeons and Dragons. When we pick up a book, typically we know what we're going to get. We know what the artwork's going to look like, and and you come to expect that level of whatever, you know, whether it be 
you come to expect a certain level from those books and i i do mm -hmm. enjoy the what they what onyx path has done with these books and and i think this book is is very well done i picked up the print on demand version of the book so i have the hard copy and again i cannot say enough about drive through rpg and their print on demand stuff it has always been well done agreed but we've gone a little bit longer than normal my friend i guess we just had a lot to talk about this time which is good um do you have anything else you wish to add? I don't. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We're looking at more stuff to try and keep us entertained through the summer. Uh, so if there's anything you guys have for recommendations or books that we're missing or genres we're missing uh, or something we need to cover that we're just completely unaware of, uh, we're always kind of looking for that kind of stuff. Uh, we've had a lot of fun with some interviews this month. Huge, 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 huge thanks to the people coming on our show and and, and talking with us. It's it's a lot of fun. And it, again, it's nice to see it from the side of the developer and, and so many people that we've been fortunate to talk to, especially this month, their passion for the game. Uh, is really infectious and you know there's some of these games where it's it's not necessarily something i would i would look at or, or be interested in and then hearing people's passion behind this kind of stuff like okay i gotta check it out you know talking with matthew and katie and and well in here in just a little bit talking with steffi and, and learning about the games that they love i mean katie has a real passion for dystopia rising I and mean, she was a, a game or a story developer for the original dystopia rising uh for the larp in in her area and she just loves the world and loves the lore and everything about it. And and listening to her talk about it, I I had to buy the book. I mean, it was just one of those, it's like, yeah, you know what? I want to buy this book because I want to know more about it. And I want to know more about the world and, and potentially even run a game. I went and picked up, um, there's a supplement for it called Hellnaw's Guide to Wasteland Beasties that I picked up. And then there's also the Jumpstart, which I thought the Jumpstart is a great way, especially with our group, Nolan, where we, you know, we have so many different people and we we do play, you know, typically Vampire Dungeons and Dragons. It'd be a nice way to say, okay, guys, we're going to take a break. We're going to play this Jumpstart. We can do a one shot of it and just give it a try and see what we think. So I did pick up the Jumpstart for uh, Dystopia Rising. We may give that a try one day. Yeah, I'm excited to check it out. And again, trying to find the time and when we all get back together i think we'll fill yeah. that out a lot quicker so i agree i think zach even has the jump start for uh, cyberpunk which i'm excited to try yeah and then it became beneath the sea i think yeah. we're all looking forward to that one as well so we've got a lot of games to play we just need to add a couple more free hours to the day this is true. And, and again, I want to reiterate what Nolan said. If there's a game that you want to hear us talk about that you'd like us to maybe try to score an interview with, um, let us know. There's so many games out there that we, we know we are not uh, uh, talking about because, we, well, frankly, we don't have the time or we just don't know about them. And if there's an Onyx Path game that you want us to talk about, let us know, too, because... Those folks at Onyx Path have been fantastic to work with, and they're always willing to try to find someone to let us talk talk to them about their games. Mm -hmm. So, Nolan, we've come to that point of the show where if people would like to get a hold of you, how can they do it? Uh, I'm on Twitter personally at nlemires, and that's probably the second best way. The best way is probably to go through Patrick at... Of course, you can find me at 307RPG at just about every social media out there, with the exception of Facebook, because they want articles of incorporation to change my Facebook, unless I destroy the Forge Herald and, and re recreate 307RPG, which I may do. Roger, roger. So, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, not entirely sure what we're going to be talking about next week, but we'll get it figured out. Yeah, thanks, everybody.